All right. Church, if you can find your way back to your seats so we can hear from God's Word. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Again, it is a joy to open up God's Word with you um, as we see Christ in all of Scripture. It is also a joy to be able to see uh, C.B. and John in Croatia. Um, and for those who have been keeping up with the Facebook updates, I um, I find John to be incredibly humorous with every single post that comes through. It's really funny. Uh, if you didn't see the interview that John has with with uh, Caitlin and Daniel, it's 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 quite funny. It's it's almost it's almost too formal, you know. Um, so if you've seen that. It's quite humorous, but I'm very encouraged by uh, what's taking place in Croatia and uh, just the encouragement that CB and John want to provide for the church there. Um, again, guests, for, uh, for those who are new, anyone else who's visiting, uh, my name is Joshua Street and I serve as a deacon with our Crossfire Parent and Youth Ministry. And we welcome you today, this morning, as we take a small rest stop from the book of Joshua and peek into the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bibles... You can turn to Psalm chapter 90. We'll be reading the entire chapter, all 17 verses. You know that you're there when it says at the very top, book four, potentially book four, if it has that header in your Bible, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. All right, let's read God's word together. Psalm 90, starting at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are better as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad. 
for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many days, as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, you are the everlasting God. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today we acknowledge that you are infinite and we are finite. And therefore we praise you, God, for sending Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. You are so holy And you are so set apart, and yet you are so personal and gracious to send us a substitute. By repenting and believing in Jesus this morning, even this morning, we can one day be with you, the everlasting God, and not spend an eternity in hell, but spend an eternity in heaven. So Holy Spirit, help me as I deliver your word. Keep me from error. Um, Holy Spirit, help us, fill us. Allow us to see you more clearly and change us this morning. And pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Psalm 90. One of the oldest recorded psalms in Scripture. And just providing some context, this particular psalm is with a tone of, of lamentation as opposed to praise. Scholars believe that this lament was in connection to Numbers 14, verses 20 to 36, during which God swore that the people would not enter the promised land. This was the result of their rebellion, their fear, their grumbling. After Joshua and Caleb spied out the land of Canaan, and rather than entering, the people would wander for the next 40 years in the wilderness. And thus... We have Psalm 90 penned by Moses, who is appointed by God as the leader of Israel. And so as we look through Psalm 90, kind of a, again, a phrase you might have seen in your bulletin, and it's pulled right from Scripture, just a kind of title, but also focus, is that God is our dwelling place. As was stated by by Joel this morning, I think he did a a wonderful job of just (laughs) prepping us for that. God is our dwelling place. And as we look through Psalm 90, we're going to be looking at four points today in relation to God being our dwelling place. Number one, God's eternality. Number two, man's transiency. Number three, Moses' submission. And number four, Moses' plea. Again, God's eternality, man's transiency, Moses' submission and Moses' plea. Let's begin with point number one, God's eternality, starting in verses one and two. From eternity past, the Trinity, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, was, is, and will be. Before creation came into being, the eternal being God just is. And I want to I ask you a question this morning. Have you ever considered, 
Have you ever considered the fact that God has witnessed every single moment in history? Every single moment. Every single moment within the entire universe he created. Outside of just this earth, right? I mean, personally, um, you know, sometimes when I look at the news, I can't bear to listen or watch for more than an hour. And yet God's vision and seeing and hearing all that takes place, are it's never shut off. He has seen everything. He's seen all of history. And Moses, in light of Israel's history, begins with verse 1. You have been our dwelling place. What a beautiful, God-exalting statement. Israel, since the exodus from Egypt, has been a people with no designated physical dwelling, no place to call home, no place of rest. And nevertheless, Moses recognizes that God himself is their refuge throughout all generations. But the refuge that God offers the people of Israel isn't temporary. And why is that? Well, because God himself is is eternal and he's not temporary. We read in verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not were, are God. Since God has no beginning, and he has no end, Israel's refuge follows suit. But when scripture refers to God as a refuge, and, and we see this a lot in the Psalms especially, um, a refuge, a tower, a fortress, what is meant by that? Obviously, we have to understand the genre of Psalms is poetic language. We have to understand the context in which this is. And this metaphorical language used in Psalms is, is meant to point to true security that Moses has found and truly experienced in God. I love the, the, the lyric in the kind of modernized hymn, Mighty Fortress, that's put out by Sovereign Grace, but is based upon the previous hymn. Amid the flood of mortal ills, his power will prevail. I mean, has it not? From Genesis to Joshua, as we've been looking, from Genesis to Joshua, the Lord has proven himself to be a mighty and secure fortress for his possession, his people. It's without a doubt. Now, one may argue that in, you know, our time, right, in modern times, that the White House is probably the most secure place in the world, right? But they're wrong. Brothers and sisters, God himself is the most secure place in the universe. Why? Because while the White House offers a vast range of protection from physical assaults that you've probably seen in one in a million movies that have been put out, right? Okay. Only God himself, only God himself can guarantee that your very soul will not be lost or in jeopardy. Your very soul, not, not just merely your body, not just merely this flesh. So if you feel the spiritual assaults of the enemy, even today, even this morning, right? 
I mean, who are we kidding? Like, we, we experience assaults from the enemy just regularly. Remember that God is your dwelling place. Do you feel the evil influence of the world? Do you just feel the, like, man, things are getting more and more evil as time passes. God is your dwelling place. Do you feel disgust towards your indwelling sin that you've dealt with? Again, maybe even this morning. God is your dwelling place. He even protects us from our very self. Romans 8.31 reminds us, amidst many things that take place, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hope in God, believer. Even more than the very seatbelt you used to drive here this morning, the very seatbelt you used to secure your child here this morning, trust God even more than that for your physical body from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. Point number two, man's transiency. In light of God's eternality, the fact that he is forever will be, we see a contrast, a very sharp contrast. And again, Joel did a wonderful job of alluding that to, uh, to that this morning. Man's transiency, in other words, his temporary state, not lasting forever. Moses uses a series of vivid uh, similar, uh, similes and metaphors to illustrate this point. And in verse 3, Note how Moses begins by describing who returns to dust. Kind of a connection to Genesis 3. But man does not simply return to dust by vague fate, you know, as some would argue, by mother nature, by chance. No, this is by God. God is the active agent who determines our beginning and our end. Not chance. Not bad luck. No, God determines our beginning and our end. And this should elicit both awe and reverent fear. And in contrast to man's temporary state, we observe that God's perspective on time is a lot different than ours. And verse 4, this is how it reads. It says, For a thousand years in your sight, or better as yesterday, when it is past, or as a, a watch in the night. God is is timeless. He is spaceless. God is not within the confines of time like man who returns to dust. He views a thousand years like we remember yesterday. Take time. Try to remember yesterday. It went by really fast, right? I mean, maybe maybe you can remember. It's just gone. That's how God views, as scripture says, it's almost like that to him. Again, this is poetic language, but it's like eternity <laughs> compared to this thousand years marvel you know marvel at that church you know we think of our lives even in a span of maybe a hundred years man that's so much to god it is like a blink not even a blink of an eye here and gone verses five and six as he continues moses then provides even more imagery to reinforce the state of man observe this he says right here Every generation that has passed, it says, they are swept away like a flood. They are like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, but then it fades and withers. Friends, if you're looking for a motivational message to boost your self-esteem, 
is not the place. <laughs> this is not the place. If you're looking for a message to say you are awesome and live your best life now, this is not the place. You are not finding it right here. We are being compared to those that are swept away like a flood, like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, but then withers and fades. This psalm, like the entirety of scripture, is meant to make God look big, not people. This psalm is meant to point to the finite nature of mankind, that we are temporary. But if you're anything like me, right, if you're anything like me, you might be tempted to think more of yourself, kind of like a superhuman. Is that not what the the world advertises? Is that not what the world advertises? Falsely advertises the power of the human will, the mind. We just bind together. We don't need God. We got this. Yet regardless if you're a Christian or not, we, we intuitively recognize that we are just dust. Whether we want to admit it or not, we all make decisions that acknowledge the brevity of created things, including ourselves. One example was clearer that, that made this very clear is when I finally moved out of my parents' house, got married, got a good job. One word consistently came up over and over again, over and over again. One word that I was not familiar with, insurance, insurance. Many of you have insurance. Teens in the room, um, I just wanted to let you know, teens, so you don't you know, I had no idea of all the specifics um, of this thing called insurance before I left my house. So if you don't, don't feel bad, okay? You might hear car insurance as being that that's the next thing because of get. I still don't really know all the things about insurance either. You know, there's a lot of language. I, I don't know it all. But what I did find out is that you can get insurance for just about anything. Your health, your renting, auto, boats, flood, pets. Life insurance. But what premise is insurance built upon? What are you believing? What are we believing prior to getting insurance? There is a assumption that's built into insurance. Whether anybody admits it or not, it's, it's there. It doesn't have it in fine writing. The premise that it's built upon is the transiency and temporary state of created things. That things won't last forever. You can get someone who is a strong believer in Christ to someone who is completely opposed to Christ, and they will be getting insurance. And most people, and most, it's required. <laughs> it's required. And these created things are at risk of not lasting for a million different reasons. So we get insurance. And insurance is one of the many examples which point to one truth. We are not the everlasting God. We are not. No one is. Many have claimed to be gods over the course of history. God laughs at them. God laughs at those who would dare to compare themselves to a God. They are not. They are swept away like a flood. They are like a dream. They are like grass that flourishes and then withers and fades. It's a joke to even say. What a claim. What blasphemy. We've seen that throughout the course of Scripture. If you've read all of you just see it. We are not the timeless creator. We are creation, and creation surrounds us. So more recently, Luba and I were, were even considering and have, have uh, 
been in the process of acquiring health insurance, um, sorry, uh, life insurance. And, you know, they have these lifetime policies that go up into a certain age and they're like, oh man, that'd be really nice. They're like, hmm, until age 100. Man, it seems forever from now. It's like, no, that's going to come real quick. Um, but it's nanoseconds to God, you know? A thousand years flies that we were yesterday. He returns us to dust. Church, the question for you, and, and by way of application, are we putting too much stock in the length of our lives? Insurance is a wonderful thing. Don't get me wrong. I love it. I love talking about full tort and limited tort on my uh, auto policy. I love it. Got great. I love it. I love getting great premiums, you know, having discounts, multi-bundles. Those are wonderful. Insurance is great, but is it where we put our hope, right? Do we suppose that an inheritance left when we die of monetary value is more valuable than the gospel? What are we leaving? What are we leaving behind? A legacy of assets and funds? Of accounts full with money? Or is it, wow, you know what? My, my children and my grandchildren are going to know that God was my dwelling place. That God was my security. That God was my stay. That God was my hope. That he will hold me fast. He did hold me fast. He did secure my salvation. I am now in my eternal dwelling place with God. Romans 8.10 is a beautiful scripture that reminds us. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, we learned, we, we heard about that this morning with the call to worship. We, sin has resulted in then the death of people. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Believer, this body will expire one day. Teens, it almost seems morbid and negative, almost morally wrong. It feels almost, and I want to follow my feelings, it almost feels negative, teens, to tell you that you will die one day. Our culture, I mean, that, that's, that's almost appalling to say to teens or children, you're going to die one day. But that's just the reality. That's the reality. It's not, if you're in Christ, dying is just from one place to another. It's not the end. It's the beginning and continuation of a life of loving Christ. <laughs> you know, it's, there's, there's, no, there's no real end. We are all either going to an eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. And so dying isn't really the issue. It's where we put our hope in for salvation. It's where we put our hope in for afterwards. But remember, if you are a believer, if you have repented and put your faith and trust in Jesus, God is your dwelling place. And the reason why no other dwelling place can remain as secure is because no other dwelling place is eternal. No other dwelling place has risen from the dead. Moses knew that, and the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us this morning with that truth. God is your dwelling place, believer. God is your dwelling place forever, forever. Point number three, Moses' submission. 
looking at verses 7 through 11. You know, the only proper response um, kind of going out is, is just submitting under God's like mighty hands. Like, wow, this is really, really weighty. God's eternal, and I'm not. Face plant. I mean, just, I mean, I feel like that's the only way, right? I mean, in light of the great I am, who showed himself in a, in a burning bush, in parting the Red Seas, and leading the people out of Exodus, I mean, into, ex- in, into exile out of Egypt, Moses shows how vulnerable and exposed the Israelites have been and really are. In verses 9, I'm sorry, uh, 7, 9, and 11, look at the language that is used to describe the vulnerability. Look in with me. We see the intensity of God's anger and wrath. For we are brought an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. Verse 9, for all of our days pass away under your wrath. 11, who considers the power of your anger? and your wrath according to the fear of you. Brothers and sisters, it's important to remember that not all, this is just a really good point of context, it's not all Israelites were a part of the ultimate remnant saved. Not all Israel was Israel, if that makes sense. Not all of those who were a part of Israel were ultimately saved and believed. Right, We see that there's a lot of unbelief that takes place within Israel's history that's damning. Not just simply unbelief that then leads to humility, but unbelief that leads to even more pride. Just as we cannot assume that everyone in a given church is saved. Church association is not salvation. And as a result, the Israelites experience these small glimpses of God's anger and judgment based upon their sin. And this is in response to that rebellion. And Moses saw, saw this. I mean, he was even the recipient of offense often. He was often the offended party, leading people that God has called into. Not only because of physical death, but also because of the Lord's doing and providing these glimpses of anger and judgment. And to some extent, and I think it's really important, um, again, just by way of application for us, To some extent, we who are believers in Christ, we ought to be mindful of the wrath of God, right? Mindful that we deserve that. We deserve to be where Christ was on our behalf. That we can never just presume upon God's grace. You know, I love, I love when CB, um, he'll kind of just have this passing phrase, which I think we've all been guilty of doing. I know I was, I'm, I'm guilty of just saying like, yeah, I know God, you know. I know you sent Jesus to die for my sins. You know, like, just so flippant. Like, like that. Yeah, I, but give me something more with pizzazz and more some flair. Give me something more, God, because that gospel is it's just not doing it for me today. You know, may we just repent of that flippant nature, that one that just presumes upon God's grace. Yeah, I know he's going to forgive me. He always does. Like how we might treat our horizontal relationships to say, well, I know who'll accept me. You know, teens, maybe you've been there where you sin against your parents and you say, well, <laughs> my parents are never going to kick me out. So, I mean, like, what? You know, like, they would never kick me out. Like, they, they're always going to take me back. 
we don't want to treat God's grace as cheap, like it didn't come with a cost. At the same time, because of Jesus Christ, we have no reason to fear God's wrath. There's no wrath remaining for any believer here this morning because God is your dwelling place. He is your refuge, as we were reminded last week. So if you feel discouraged by your indwelling sin, if, you, if, you, if you're battling and saying, God, I, I, I just, I got to rid myself. I want to rid myself of all these habits that I've built over years. There's no more wrath. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Romans 8, 1. So it's no surprise that Moses intertwines the, the truth that nothing is hidden from God. In verse 8, we see that. He says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Here, Moses notes God's omniscience in this instance. His attribute of all-knowing. And God has witnessed every single act, every single thought. Parents, just think for a moment. You have seen the only extent to which your children have sinned against you. Consider knowing every single child that has sinned against their parent and just just that and just flooding flooding your mind all the time and being just just being brought forth with sin after sin after sin after sin, never ending, and then multiply that across the entire world. I mean, like, overwhelming, right? You think, like, but, but as Tom reminded us this morning, God chooses not to restrain his mercy. <laughs> he chooses. Man, that is wonderful. Church, it's important that we understand that we don't provide half-truths about God's character and his view of sin. The word sin in our culture is such taboo. It is seen as such archaic language, such intolerant language. As CB mentioned last week, our culture preaches tolerance, but will not tolerate a God who will punish sin. It will not. But brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming here. Why did Jesus come? Jesus coming. There's no good news if the bad news is irrelevant. Bad news that we are inherently flawed, that we have sinned against God in act, by word, by thought. Romans 3.23 reminds us for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By the authority of Scripture, we can say that people sin. Let us not cower behind the language of the day to say that people do not sin. It calls sin for what it is. It's an offense against God. We fall short of the glory of God. But the beautiful news, we are justified and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God put forth as a propitiation, a wrath-absorbing sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And this really hits at the sins of Israel. Even he, he had every right to pour out his full wrath, and yet chose to, in his divine forbearance, to pass over former sins to then unleash his full wrath on Christ so that anyone who would believe upon him, both from the past, the promised Messiah to come and us looking back on Jesus, the Messiah would be saved. With the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins for us, for the Israelites who by faith believed in that promised Messiah. And at the end of the day, we cannot prevent the inevitable. That because of original sin, that ultimately this body will die. Verse 10 kind of has an interesting way of talking about this. It says that the years of life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Moses and the Israelites understand what it meant to endure hardships and keep going, right? Survive. You know, first they had, you know, they, they had the tyranny of, of Pharaoh in Egypt, the Exodus, being in the wilderness. But even the most, most lengthy of years still end in the same way. When I was in college, I remember, uh, going to, I remember going to the weight room and, and there would just be tons of people there, right? I mean, it's like 44,000 some people and, you know, it would just be crazy crowded inside the, the white building as they called it among like the five gyms that they had there on main campus. And you just see so many people, again, nothing wrong, nothing wrong with working out, but just so consumed with that moment of getting a good pump with the protein shakes and with the, and with, with the recovery shakes. Posting pictures, getting more reps, getting more sets. So much, so much of our culture is about anti-aging remedies and hacks. I mean, it's just don't look old, or people will judge you. Don't look old, even if you are old. Just don't look it, and it, you'll feel better. I mean. Obviously, we, we should be good stewards, right? We should be good stewards of what God has given us. Not only our bodies, but all the other created things, right? You know, so I think God blesses the use of anti-wrinkle creams. Okay? Use your anti-wrinkle creams. My mom used creams from Mary Kay for years. And she gets, she people think that, you know, my brother is her boyfriend. I mean, like, that's that's how, you know, like, that's wonderful. I'm glad that my mom used those things. You know, eat your organic, non-GMO veggies, okay? Go to, go. Hit your stationary bike from time to time if you'd like. That's fine. But guys, church, brothers and sisters, we must not put our pride in the quantity of our years based upon our own remedies, in the strength of our own arm, right? We trust in the name of the Lord. We trust in the arm of the Lord. May our only boast be in Christ, brothers and sisters. We are sustained by amazing 
grace. So whether we leave this earth at 26 or 76, our hope is in the eternal God. He is our dwelling place. Again, don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lies about all this. Trust in prevention of the inevitable. It will happen in one way or another. God determines your beginning and your end. And that's why we can rest secure. That when we leave, right? When we leave, we know that it was God's will, not just because, oh, if only I did this more. Point four, Moses' plea. Verses 12 to 17, Moses completes this psalm by humbly asking for the Lord's help. I think it's a wonderful way to end any psalm. I think it's a wonderful time to end any Sunday service, honestly. Throughout the entire psalm, Moses describes how man is temporary and God is eternal. And observe his first plea. Again, Joel did a great job this morning of, of touching on this. This first plea, honestly, if, if you could meditate on an ask of God, a supplication, if you will, this would be one that you could just write down on your hand, you know, study it day and night. Verse 12 says, So, again, in light of everything, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What a beautiful request. Notice what Moses doesn't say. Notice what Moses doesn't say. He doesn't say, God, give me more life. God, give me more years. Rather, Allow me to recognize how short this life is so that I can gain wisdom. I mean, brothers and sisters, how, much, how, many, how many of us honestly think this way, right? Teens, in particular, who I care about, do you desire, teens, do you desire, young people, do you desire heart of wisdom? Or desire more life for the next best thing, right? Isn't that what our culture preaches? Like, just just get to that, just get to that next thing. You know, you get out of mom and dad's house, you got the car, you got the job, you got the wife, you got the dog. You, okay, like like that, all that building to the next best thing. Even you, you know, even those who are older here to get grandchildren, to retire, to be on the beach, to get you know, like all of that stuff, like to just gain and accumulate more years. Church, we need not envy those who are successful in the world's eyes, but are fools before God. Fools. That's how the Proverbs describe the wise man, the fool, the simple. I mean, make no mistake, guys, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with desiring to live. That's, that's, that's fine and well to have a family that grows, to admire created things, to look forward to the future. But we dare not become so consumed with life that we lose sight of eternity. Life is good, but it should not become God. Life is good, but it should not become God. This, we hate to break it to people, is not your best life now. If it is, that's really bad news. This is not your home. This is not your home, believer. And we ought not to treat it fundamentally, fundamentally, deep, deep, deep down. We ought not to treat it as such. 
I came kind of close to understanding this a little bit better when um, Luba and I are in the process of moving. Some of you guys may be aware of that, but one of the biggest temptations towards anxiety that I felt was waiting to see if our, our bid would be accepted, you know, and in full disclosure, I was, a I was kind of a mess. Like I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, he had like spiral into questions just over and over again in your head. Like, Oh, what if this is going to happen? You know, they don't accept it. I don't know if we're flying a home like this again. Who was pregnant? The baby's on the way. Where are we going to live? Somebody's going to, you know, like, you know, and I'm sure those who are uh, a lot more wise would be like, Josh, what were you worrying about? You know, like, right. But like, you've gained that wisdom from God over time. And he's allowed you to see that that moment in my eyes, although you couldn't feel what I I felt, you could see things I couldn't see, right? You could see certain things, you'd be like, you're going to be fine, Joshua. Right? You probably would have told me that. I think, I think plenty of people have probably told me that. But then even in that process, I realized, and I had that thought, this is not my home. <laughs> Brick, wood, cement, metal, all perishable. It's all perishable. But wisdom from God, wow, that's, that, that's long-lasting. That has an eternal ripple effect. One day we will be sitting before the God of wisdom. To pursue Jesus as your supreme treasure is to pursue wisdom which is not of this world. Church, no one can take what God has given you. They didn't give it to you in the first place. They can't take it away. Surely they cannot touch your salvation. God is your dwelling place. Proverbs 4, 7 reminds us that the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. May that be our cry. Verse 12, teach us to number our days. Teach us to be aware of our life, not to become obsessed with how many days we have left, but just aware that it's brief, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And this verse 12 sets the tone for the remaining of Moses' pleas, which stem from his submission. And you can take note, if you're, if you're looking in the scripture, look, take note of the verbs in the verbs in 13, 14, and 15, the very beginning. Return, O Lord, have pity on your servants satisfy us, make us glad. I love words. They just have, they, they're meaningful. God's intended them to be this way. And in this, these words are indicative of the fact that the Lord has provided goodness and kindness towards his people. And Moses is trusting in that. He recognizes the grievous nature of, of the people's sin. And he asks for pity. And in light of the error, he asks for, for satisfaction coming from his steadfast love and kindness. He even asked for the Lord to help them through affliction ordained by God. Brothers and sisters, the Lord welcomes our request for many things, right? Especially in lamentation when we're dealing with grief. And, and many of you, if not all of us, have gone through some level of grief over the course of our lives, even more recently. Moses knows that the Lord has been faithful to his people. We often forget what 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 the Lord did even between the Exodus and here. We shouldn't hesitate to ask God to help us with our marriages, children, jobs, work, but we must not neglect requests for our souls to be joyful in himself. It's so easy to ask for stuff, right? Is it so easy to ask for more creative things? And there's nothing wrong with that, right? 
we should ask the Lord to help us. Man, like, we've been, Luba and I have been praying so much for this house, right? Like, God, would you please provide the money that we need? But what's more important, church, is that we are not merely concerned with the circumstance improving, but our view of God improving. God, show us pity. Satisfy me with your love. Make me glad in you. Let us ask for God to be more desirable, to be more precious, to be more treasured in all circumstances, regardless of whether we get those created things we really long for in this short life. Look to his faithfulness and be comforted this morning. That regardless of whether what's around you in the created world and even in your own created body, that the Lord God is your dwelling place. To conclude, Moses shows his desperation for the Lord even until the end. He looks to God alone, verses 16 and 17. Moses asked the Lord to show his work, to show his power and favor among them. Note even the word he uses to describe himself and his people, your servants. In other words, slaves. You note his submission here. You note his plea here. It's obvious Moses, he knows his position and he knows his role. He's a leader, but he is the, he's submitting. The lowliness of a submission at the mercy of a holy God. And then he concludes with this repetitious statement. In verse 17, feel free to read along as I read and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In other words, make our efforts successful and long-lasting. This psalm includes much of an inward focus and then concludes with an outward focus. Moses understands that without God, the, the works of the Israelites are in vain. And so it is with us, church. Love the, I love the, I love the, 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 the lyric from My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Church, Moses had one life to live on this earth. We know that Moses truly believed that God was his dwelling place. How do we know this? How do do we know that in the end, Moses was faithful and ultimately after his approximate 120 years, 120 years, that he was with God? Well, in Matthew 17, we see that he appears at the transfiguration of Christ. He was brought safely home. He was brought safely home. Believer, if you have repented, friend, if you have repented and believed, turned away from your sins and trusted in Christ, you will be safely home. There's no greater security than that. There's no great security. We worry about so many things that take place in this life which are good, but they are not God. Let us remember. If I can ask just the, um, the worship team to come forward in closing. Brothers and sisters, We have one life to live on this earth. And it will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. And again, just by way of application to kind of conclude, I think this really hits on what CB was talking about last week. Do we live as though this is true for us right now? 
And more importantly, not only in our own hearts, do others see this evidence by a life of faith in God who is your dwelling place? When people, when people hear you speak, when people hear me speak, do they hear someone who is so captured by God to save them and their soul, their soul is secure, that they're like, man, man this, this guy does care about his family. This woman does care about her family. She takes things seriously to not just be flippant and saying like, oh, it doesn't matter if I do this. I'm going to die anyway. No, no, no. No, there is a intentionality with their life. But man, they do not consume themselves with all this stuff. They consume themselves with God. They consume themselves and they speak of how wonderful God is and how, is that me? (laughs) You know, is that me? I preach this first to myself, church. I pray that God would all help us, again, filled with the Holy Spirit, to be able to then evidence our faith by remembering that God is our dwelling place. Um, Let's pray. Let's pray and just ask for God's help. God, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the fact that you are our dwelling place. And God, that you will forever be with us. God, I pray for those who haven't already repented and believed in you. I pray that they would recognize the brevity of life. They would recognize how short this life comes and goes and that tomorrow, even the rest of today, is not guaranteed. I pray that by your spirit, you would draw them to yourself. You would grant them repentance according to your grace and your mercy. And that they would be able to rejoice this morning, knowing that their God is their dwelling place. And for those who have already repented, God, I pray that we would just be reminded daily over and over, over and over again, God is my dwelling place. God is my dwelling place. God is my dwelling place. Though everything else fall away, family, work, the very house that I live in, God, you are our dwelling place. Thank you, God, for that truth this morning. We pray that we would sing praises to you in response with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the beginning of the book of Ephesians, God's word says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. As we go here today, know this truth, Christian, you are blessed and you are holy in Christ. May we look to Jesus as we go today. God bless.